You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of who I am, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, good morning. So glad to be here with you all. My name is Zach. If you're new, I'm one of the pastors here. And a couple notes before we dive in today. If you have a question about anything in the sermon, we've kind of made a habit of doing Q&A after sermons uh, to make it hopefully maybe more immediately practical. Uh, We always want to be practical, but if there's a question... We'd love to address that. And so you can scan the QR code there. There's also a, a link on the important channel on Slack. And that will come to me and my phone. And we'll check those out immediately after the service. Second thing is our live stream. Our live stream um, was basically something that we did for the sake of the unique nature of the pandemic. But we want to really emphasize as a church that Christianity and church is a three-dimensional experience, not two-dimensional. And so the live stream is going to be going away at some point. We don't know quite when that is. Just want to give you a heads up and let you know so it doesn't take you by surprise. Um, and so that will be happening probably in the next few weeks or something like that. But want, want to just say that, and we don't want to promote um, like a two-dimensional Christianity. Um, the sermon will always be there, like if you're sick or whatever. Uh, the podcast, the sermon podcast will always be there. Um, so just keep that in mind. We want to let you know about that. All right. So today we are in Philippians chapter 3. Steffi read our scripture for us. And here's what the main point is. I just want to tell you right, right out of the gate and seek to convince you from the text. Here's what, we're, here's what I want you leaving out of here with today. Perseverance in the Christian life is all about the right community and the right vision of the future. We say that again. Persevering in the Christian life is all about the right community and the right vision of the future. So let's see what Paul has to say about that. Look at verse 17 with me of Philippians 3. He says, brothers, and by implication, sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he says, imitate me. Like a great Bible question at this point would be, imitate me in what? Like what am I supposed to imitate? Like absolutely everything you do, Paul, Well, that would be ridiculous. That's not what he's saying. So how we understand this is probably going to be determined by what? By the context, right? We always read our Bibles in context. And this is one flow of thought, not meant to be read 
like, like, um, like this, where, where we break it up all the time. It's good how we do it, but we always have to remember, this is, this is one letter to be read to a Philippian church 2,000 years ago from beginning to end. This is Paul's desire for that church. And so we always have to keep the context in mind. So what is the this? Join in imitating me. Sorry, not the this. Join in imitating me. Well, what does that mean? Imitating you in what, Paul? Well, it's the context. Look at verse 12 through 16. That's what we talked about all last week. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But this is what it says. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this. He's talking about the full expression of the Christian life. The perfection of the Christian life. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Right? But I press on. I'm going to keep going in the Christian life to make it my own, this experience of the Christian life. Because, why? Because Christ, this is so good, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And so now I'm, I'm going to press on. See what he said, press on there? He said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, I'm like, I'm not fully walking in the experience of everything that's possible in the Christian life, but I want to head in that direction. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, heading in that direction to what lies ahead, verse 14, I press on, I'm going to keep going toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is Paul saying? He's saying, when I say imitate me in verse 17, this is what he means. Imitate me in this, verses 12 through 16. This desire to, I know whose I am. Christ Jesus, verse 12, has taken hold of me. I know who I am in Christ. Thus, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to press on. I'm going to strain sometimes to just keep heading in the direction of Jesus and knowing that I'm going to grow and be perfected from one degree of glory to the next, the Bible says. So that's what he's calling this church to do. That's what he means when he says, imitate me. Imitate me in this. That's what we saw last week. I'm going to keep going because I know who I am in Christ and I know whose I am in Christ. You with me? So he says another thing. I love, I love the metaphor here. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it's not just me. It's other people too that are doing what I'm doing. He says, what does he say? He says, keep your eyes on them. Keep your eyes on them. So the question is, what do we have our eyes on? What are we keeping in front of our faces? What are we focusing on? Who's influencing you? I think it's important to see how what he's saying here kind of cuts the heart out of an individualistic view of Christianity. I think it, in some ways it might be uniquely American. Not uniquely American, but very American. We have a rugged individualism that we embrace as a culture, by and large. And that can, that can filter into our faith, 
but it was never intended to be individualistic. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Yes, do it, right? But he doesn't mean that it's, that's it. It's just you and Jesus, fix your eyes on him, that's all you need. Like the whole Bible assumes that it's not me and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. It's us and Jesus, right? The power of Christianity, in some ways, is the power of community. There's this thing that we call the one another's of the New Testament. There's like 68 of them or something. Love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, rebuke one another, correct one another. And those aren't just Paul wasting words. It's like those are, those are him saying in his letters in the New Testament, the assumption is do these things, Right? The assumption is that when we do that, we're going to grow. And he's saying as you're in a community like that, you're going to be around people that are, are doing a great job at that. He's saying fix your eyes on them. Like growing in Christ, according to verse 17, is a communal project. To keep going in the Christian life when it's hard is a communal project. So let me ask you this. As you think about Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that's Ephesians 5.1. It's also here, brothers, imitate me in light of what I said in verse 12 through 16. And also set your eyes on those who are doing the same thing in community. The question is, who do we have in our lives that's influencing us? Do you have people in your life that you can do this with? Verse 17. Like, do you surround yourself with people where if you imitate them, you're going to be living for the glory of God? If you imitate them, you're going to love other people really well. If you imitate them, you're going to be practicing humility and not pride. If you imitate them, you're going to be experiencing long-term joy. Like, who do you have in your life that helps you do that? Like, do we prioritize that in our lives, this kind of community, where I surround myself with people that I want to imitate because their faith is strong and vibrant? It's why we emphasize community so much at our church. Like, we're not just trying to gather some people on a Sunday morning because we're looking for more things to do. No, we gather because there's power in Christian community. See verse 17. That's why we emphasize city group. I'm not just trying to make you guys spiritually busy. Right? We believe in it because community is a big deal. See verse 17. Be in a context where you can be exposed to other believers who are heading in the direction that you want to head and you can influence one another and, and imitate one another to the degree that we're imitating Christ. Right? So who you spend time with is a really big deal. Right? I've heard in... Um, some podcasts I've been listening to, it's, it's, it's been a slogan they've been kicking around, that you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. That makes sense, doesn't it? Another, another cliche we have in our culture is you are who your friends are. 
And those things are very biblical. Those statements are very biblical, believe it or not. Look at what the Proverbs says. Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So if you hang out with people that are wise, you spend time with, you set your eyes on, to use the language of our text, you set your eyes on the wise, imitate the wise, you're going to become wise. That's a really cool promise, right? Or um, it's not a promise, it's a principle. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you hang with fools, you're going to become a fool, and it's going to be really harmful for you. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. So don't set your eyes on someone who's crazy with their temper. Why? Lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You are who your friends are. You don't want to imitate that. That's what the Proverbs is saying. It's agreeing with what Paul is saying in verse 17 this morning. So keep your eyes on, pay attention to the community you're in. The example of what you put in front of your face is going to harm you or it's going to help you. So if we want to grow in the Christian life, one of the questions we should ask ourselves is who do we consistently spend time with? Who do we consistently spend time with? Are there people that help spur you on to love and good deeds? Says the author of Hebrews 10.24. Do they help you grow in holiness? Do they help remind you that Christianity is not um, do more, try harder, but your salvation is a gift of grace that changes your heart to want to walk with the Lord? Nothing to earn, nothing to prove. Like, I've got some friends. I've had lots of friends over the years. Um, I've maintained friendships for many decades with lots of different people. And I have some friends where I hang out with them, and I just kind of feel like, after we hang out, like, I I don't know if this is really helping me glorify God. I don't know if this is really helping me grow in my walk with the Lord. It's not like it's all bad. It's just not really pushing me in the right direction. Because I feel that because there's a contrast between other friends that I have where when I hang out with them, it's like, man, I just want to love Jesus more. Man, I just want to pray more. I just want to humble myself more. I want to love God and love other people more. I want to I slay my sin more. Who do we consistently spend time with? Paul's saying in verse 17 that our, our Christian community is a big deal. Who you set your eyes on is a big deal. The imitation or, or the influence that you have is going to lead to imitation no matter what. You are who your friends are. Now, disclaimer, okay, because this is a potential objection you might have. It would be really good if you were thinking it. Uh, disclaimer, this doesn't mean that we don't hang out with unbelievers. What does the Bible say about, about King Jesus? He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? So, Paul's not disagreeing with Jesus here. That's a different sermon for a different day. And there is a place in our life, definitely, to hang out with people that don't know the Lord. Right? That's that's the model of Jesus. Paul models that. Read the book of Acts. But he's saying, you've got to know this much. There's room for relationships with unbelievers. Yes and amen. And most of us need to prioritize that more, honestly. But you also need to be thinking about who do I spend time with and what's the influence there 
And if I imitate them, what's the byproduct going to be? Okay? So, main point. Persevering in the Christian life is all about the right community and right vision of the future. Persevering in the Christian life is all about the right community and right vision of the futures. So let's see where this leads next. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Why, Paul? Well, here's why. For, or because, many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So look at the words in 18. For many of whom I have often told you. So this is presupposing a conversation that Paul has had with the ancient Philippian church. So who are these people that Paul's thinking of that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ? Again, reading the Bible in context, I bet it's the people he's talking about. I don't know this for sure, but I'd be willing to wager he's got in mind the, the people of verse 2 of chapter 3. So let your eyes scan back to verse 2 of chapter 3 in your Bible. <clears throat> and he calls some people dogs. It's pretty strong language. He says, look out for the dogs. Those, look out for those evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. And I won't re-preach the sermon. Houston preached the sermon really well two weeks ago. But Paul has in mind some people that are invading the church and claiming to be Christians but teaching a different gospel. It's a gospel of salvation by works instead of salvation by grace through faith. And he's saying here in verse 18, there's people that walk among you that are enemies of the cross, enemies of of the gospel. And there's people you don't want to imitate and you want to steer clear of them. Like if there's people in your life that claim to be Christians, but they're not believing what the Bible actually says, steer clear. Steer clear. I want to highlight another thing that I think is really important for us to notice though. It's just Paul's character. Verse 18, for many of whom I've often told you, I've often told you, I've often warned you about these folks. Don't believe what they're teaching. Don't go there. But how did I tell you? I've often told you and now even, and now tell you even with tears. So this is, this is a beautiful thing for us to learn from and just see kind of quickly, you can pass over it, but what's Paul's posture towards these enemies of the gospel? It's not like the Pharisee, like, God, I praise you that I'm not like these idiots over here that don't believe the truth. It's not what he's saying. That's typically indicative of pride. God hates pride. But he's, he's saying with tears, like, I'm grieved. Usually that's indicative of humility. Like these folks over here, I'm, I'm, I've got tears. I'm grieved by, by their waywardness. Lord, would you help us in this, right? That's more indicative of a humble heart. So I just want you to notice that. Like, when we warn people, we don't warn from a place of pride, of like, look at those guys, Ugh. But we, we warn people with, with broken hearts. 
So he's just giving them a warning here. I want you to see that. Persevering in the Christian life is all about the right community. Verse 18, wrong community, right? And a right vision of the future that we're going to get to in a second. So now he's going to illustrate what to look for. And this gets kind of dark. Look at verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And now he gets descriptive. Here's what it looks like. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. All right, so let's break down verse 19. Their end is their destruction. What does that mean? It means that they're going to hell. They are condemned. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? Well, when we think about food, we think about our belly. Oftentimes for us, it's like instant gratification. It's a, it's a human desire that God created. I get hungry, and when I get hungry, I want to satiate that desire as quickly as possible. I don't know about y'all. Maybe you're more disciplined than I am. But when I get hungry, it's like, feed me. I get, I get hangry, right? We know that word. And so to have the God, your God is your belly, what Paul means here is like the impulses of the body are my God. So impulse for food, impulse for drink, impulse for sex, impulse for power, impulse for lots of, lots of things. Immediate gratification, if at all possible, right? They glory in their shame, so they glorify things that should be shameful. They call good what is evil, and what is evil they call good. And they have their minds, verse 19, set on earthly Things So their minds are just focused on what is temporal. Instant gratification, no perspective or hope for the future. Life is temporal. Get yours now while you can, because this is it. This is our only go around. There's no future beyond this life. So, so be as comfortable as possible and satiate instant gratification of your body at all times. Now, does that sound like anything in our culture? Does that sound like anything in our own hearts? So we look out there, but we also look in here. Does that sound like anything that we're tempted to as Christians? I I can relate to that. Remember, what is Paul saying? He's saying, what are you fixing your eyes on? What are you fixing your eyes on? We're fixing our eyes on those that are stirring up. Just, just get yours right now. Be as comfortable as possible right now. You have an impulse, satiate it. Is that what we're hanging out with? So Paul, in this context, is talking about your relationships, right? Who you set your mind, or who you set your eyes on, who you're imitating. But I think we have a, an even greater challenge in some ways than they had back then. Because we have technology that they don't have. They weren't staring at, at, at screens all day like we do. So I think for us, it's even more of a danger. Like this warning is even more important. Because if I scroll through Instagram 
or I scroll through Facebook or watch shows on Netflix or watch stuff on YouTube, oftentimes what I'm exposed to is verse 18 and 19, right? Our technological context enables us to see lots of other things, right? It's not just physical relationships, it's digital relationships. It's technological relationships. What are, what are we seeing? Literally, what's in front of our face? What are we allowing to influence us? What are we tempted to Im- imitate, right? My mom always used to say it, and I used to think she was dumb, and I didn't believe her, but it was garbage in, garbage out. Like, Mom, whatever. I can handle a little garbage. What do you know? Well, she knew a lot. And I was a cocky 14-year-old kid that didn't know anything, thought I did. She was right. So true. Garbage in, garbage out. What you expose your eyes to is going to affect you. What you allow to influence you is going to influence you. So a lot of us, myself included, what's a little garbage? Eh, I can handle it. Is it really that big of a deal? Paul seems to think so. Like, dude, the shows that we watch celebrate evil. Do the things that we scroll celebrate unbridled sensuality, just for the sake of it? Do the, do, do, does it stir, do the shows we watch or the things we scroll stir up envy, jealousy, selfish ambition? Or is it all just a temporal perspective with no thought of the, the goodness and the beauty of delayed gratification? What are we seeing? What are we fixing our eyes on? In relationships and technology, we have to be continually asking these questions because Paul thinks, like Paul's not, again, he's writing this for a purpose. He wants this Philippian church, keep going, guys. It's hard, I know. Keep going. Same with us. Keep going, guys. It's hard, I know. But what you put in front of your face and who you allow to influence you and what you're imitating, it makes a big difference in your Christian walk and your ability to keep going. Main point today, persevering in the Christian life is all about the right community and the right vision of the future. Now, he's talked about some things that are dark and given some stark warnings. Now he wants to remind them of some light and some real beauty here. So let me just read the whole thing in context. Brothers, join in imitating me, verse 17, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom... I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here it is for us. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He says our citizenship is in heaven. Now, what if we thought our citizenship was only here on earth? Like this is it. There's only, the kingdom of right now is the only kingdom. Well, why not make God your belly? 
Why not satiate all the impulses that you have? Why not set your mind on temporal things as much as possible? Like if, if this is the only go around, then you can see how people make politics their God. This is the only kingdom that there is. Get the right people in power, we'll be good. We gotta get ours now. Why not make money or sex or power or food your God because this is our only go around, right? Or why not be as careful as possible with your life and, and, and be a slave to fear because this is our only go around? So he's saying, don't focus on people who think their citizenship is only here, but be reminded Your citizenship is not just here. Your citizenship, your primary identification of citizen is connected to God. You are a citizen of heaven. So if I know that I am a citizen of heaven, my citizenship is a settled deal, no one can take it away from me, I can keep going in the face of suffering, just like the ancient Philippians. I can stay the course when cancer strikes. I can stay the course when the job is lost. I can stay the course when friends abandon the faith. I can take risks and do hard things way outside of my comfort zone because we know that this life is not the end. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about citizenship a little bit more. Because what Paul is saying here is a big deal, a little bit from the historical context. So being a Roman citizen, this was originally written to a Roman context where Rome had conquered most of the world, most of the known world. And if you were a Roman citizen, that came with lots of privileges, For example, you can read in the book of Acts, Paul is about to be beaten for the sake of the gospel. He turns to those who are about to beat him, and he says, hey guys, just so you know, I'm a Roman citizen. Oh, they're like, oh wow, you're a Roman citizen? All right, we're backing off. Because to beat someone in the way that they were doing it was a really big deal. It was illegal, and he was claiming his rights as a Roman citizen. For me, I was thinking about this as well this week with citizenship. There's benefits to being an American citizen that I was kind of oblivious to until recently. It has to do with our passport. I have an American passport, and I can travel lots and lots of places. And I thought that was the experience of just everybody in the world. I have a friend from Venezuela, and he was explaining to me that he, you know, he has a Venezuelan passport, of course, but he can't just travel the United States whenever he wants. Like he doesn't have that right. I didn't know that. There's benefits to an American passport that other people in the world just don't have. It's a good thing. I praise God for my citizenship, right? But being a Roman citizen and having benefits, being an American citizen and having benefits, it's good. We can be thankful to God. But Paul is saying, define yourself first and foremost as a citizen of heaven citizen of heaven. That's your primary identity. That's your primary citizenship that is going to enable you 
and empower you to do the things he's been talking about this whole book of Philippians, to keep going, to not give up. But here's the problem. It's not really a problem as much as a challenge. Based on the text, our full experience of this citizenship is something we have to wait for. You see it in the text? See the waiting, the future orientation in the text? Look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We await. We await King Jesus. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return. That's what he has in mind here. We're waiting for the return. When Jesus returns, he makes all things right. Evil is put down finally and forever. And he establishes the new heavens and new earth where we will enjoy a new heavens and new earth with King Jesus for all eternity. So we we await that And he's contrasting those who make their God their belly who can't wait for anything. You see? He's saying, that's not you guys. Your citizenship is in heaven. And that's going to give you the power to wait until that citizenship that is true now is fully and finally complete one day. You with me? You've got the citizenship now. And that's empowering you to wait because you know who you are in Christ. But one day, it's all going to be finally and completely transformed to see verse 21. And you're going to have a glorious new body, a new experience, physical experience. And you're going to experience the power, look at verse 21, that enables, uh, that, that the power of God that, that even God uses to, to subject everything to himself, that same power you're going to feel in your very body as you receive a new one. So you've got it now, but here's the problem. You've got to wait. And I was thinking about how to illustrate this this week. I think it's kind of like this. Um, we did a, an adoption podcast recently. Um, if, you, if you're not tuned into the podcast, I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, just some stories of adoption, and it's got, I've got adoption on the brain now. And we have some friends who adopted two kids from the Congo in Africa. Long story, but here's what was really remarkable to me, is that on the African side, all the paperwork was done. Everything was complete. Signed, sealed, Legally, formally, these kids who were living in Africa at the time were the son and daughter of parents living in Iowa at the time, okay? And same on the American side. All the paperwork done, signed, sealed, formalized, everything. Legally and formally, these two kids in the Congo have a new last name, and they are American citizens now through adoption. And their last name is Hansen, right? It's a done deal. It's settled. Nothing can change it. 
The judge is weighed in. You are now a son and daughter with the last name Hanson. But there was one thing yet to be done. Mom and dad had to buy the plane tickets. So the kids were their kids. It was formally, legally finished. But they still had to wait a little bit. They had to wait a little bit for mom and dad to get on the plane, fly over there, get their kids, and bring them back to the United States, sitting around a new table, playing outside in a new yard, right? sleeping in their new bed in a new bedroom. So their identity as a Hanson and an American was finished legally, formally. They just had to wait a little bit longer for it to be fully and finally complete. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. That's kind of the Christian perspective, right? It's, the theological term is the now and the not yet. And you'll see it through the Bible all the time if you're looking for it. It's true now, and one day it will be even more true. So what's Paul saying? Your citizenship is in heaven right now. And one day, when your glorious body being remade at the resurrection of all things and the remaking of all things, it's going to be even more complete. Like the citizenship is done, the papers are signed, the judge has weighed in. You just got to wait a little more. And then you're going to have the new table to sit at and the new yard to be in and the new bedroom to sleep in. We wait, but we don't wait as those who have no hope. Our hope is as solid as Jesus is risen from the dead, and he is. So just as sure as Jesus was raised from the dead, our lives will be changed finally and forever in eternity when we fully walk with new resurrected bodies that are fully satisfied in the kingdom of God, the new heavens, the new earth. And so Christian, this morning, this is your power to persevere in the Christian life. If you have this vision of the future, this is your power to endure in the Christian life. So persevering in the Christian life is all about the right community and the right vision of the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it shapes us, how it lights our path. Lord, we pray that this would be our perspective, that we would want to be with those, surround ourselves that, with those that spur us on to love and good deeds, that help us not grow weary in doing good, help us set our minds on things above and not just earthly things. Father, would you help us do that? Would you also give us a heart for those in increasing measure for those that don't know you and have a desire to spend time with them. And Lord, pray that this vision of the future would fuel us to keep going because we know that you have taken hold of us, so we take hold of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's see if we have any questions today. So, how do we encourage our five closest friends? Like, I think this is assuming uh, you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. How do we encourage our five closest friends to fix their eyes on God? Is it mostly just doing it ourselves and discouraging sin? 
Well, I'm sure it's probably on a case-by-case basis in terms of how someone feels encouraged. But I think what I talk about a lot in terms of influencing one another um, in community, hopefully for the glory of God and the joy of people, is teach and model, teach and model, teach and model. And so um, it's, it never is going to be more complex. It might be more complex, but it's never going to be less complex than what you say and how you live. What you say and how you live. And a lot of us need to, when it comes, um, when it comes to encouraging the people around us, for a lot of us, it's going to be one of two things. A lot of us need to get more courageous with how we talk. The catchphrase that I like to use oftentimes is talk like a Christian. And not being afraid to just open my mouth and talk like a Christian. Like, I'm praying about this. Or I'm going to a city group tonight. Or for me as a Christian, uh, community is a really big deal. For me as a Christian, uh, going to Ecuador is a big deal. Here's why. For me as a Christian, um, hanging out with uh, this guy that plants a church across, the, or across town is a big deal. Our words need to be elevated in importance for some of us when it comes to influencing others. For other, others of us, our words are good, but maybe our actions are not lining up with our words. And we need to really think about where that is. Where do I potentially need to practice repentance? Um, no one's expecting you to be perfect. That's not going to happen. And I don't think anybody that's a non-Christian expects you to be perfect. But just to, just to be able to own it. To be able to repent when you fail. Because that shines a light on this, the gospel that we need. Right? So I would just commend that. Um, teach and model, teach and model. And where do I need to grow? Where, where, where am I kind of out of balance? Let me just read one more here, see what time it is. <clears throat> so the question here is about um, there are different Christian ministries throughout the world um, let me see those no. I think the essence of the question is there are different ministries throughout the world that may that claim the name of Christ and they're teaching false doctrine how do we make sense of that um, how should we approach people who are believing those kind of things? It's a good question. A couple of thoughts. Um, there's false doctrine, and there's false doctrine, and there's false doctrine, right? Um, so what I'm talking about is there's, there's levels of severity. And that's a judgment call that the Bible doesn't say... In, in, in a nice linear fashion. This is the primary issue, this is secondary, this is tertiary, and on and on. Now, there's lots of, we could read the Bible on the whole and definitely make some conclusions that I think are pretty solid. Like 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I write to you this that is of first importance, that Christ died according to the scriptures and was raised according to the scriptures. He says it right out of it. This is primary. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
But what about baptism and different modes of baptism? What about different ways of interpreting end times? Well, is that first level importance? What about different ways that people educate their kids? What about different convictions about alcohol? What about different convictions about the things we talked about today? Like, what am I seeing? I'm not sure. And that's probably beyond the scope of this question. The question is, though, when we see things that seem like false teaching, people naming the name of Christ, what's the level of the false teaching? We've got to ask ourselves that. We might not know exhaustively or, or omnisciently, but at least let's give it a shot. With Bibles open, let's give it a shot, okay? Um, I think that's very important to do first, how should we approach these people? Well, if it's super severe, this is, it's, I think the Bible would say you give a very severe warning. Like if it's someone who's naming the name of Christ, and there's people out there, I can name Christian denominations, but that, that teach that at the cross, the wrath of God was not satisfied. And there's no such thing as the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus as our substitute. Like, I would say if you believe that, you're condemned based on what the Bible says. And so I might say to that person, in love, with gentleness, I'm pleading with you, like, like, he's, like Paul said, with tears, not arrogance, with tears, if you believe these things, you're not a Christian. I don't, I don't, I don't care what your church says. It's, it's not Christianity. Or we could even go with like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, it's works-based salvation, it's Bible plus, and it's, and it's Jesus is, is never fully God. Those are the three things you'll see. It's false teaching. If you believe those things, you are not saved. Primary, who is Jesus? Fully God or not? Yes or no? The Bible sufficient, or do you have to have another book along with it? Yes or no? Is it works-based salvation? Or all of grace by faith, yes or no? So sometimes, you know, Bible open with humility, I'm going to have to say, friend, I love you. This is false teaching. I'm pleading with you to consider a better way. And that might take multiple conversations. It might take, you know, prayer, a lot of discernment, da 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 Other folks, it might not be as serious. And you're going to have to probably in conversation, maybe with some eldership here or other people you know, people that know their Bible, like this seems off. It's not as off as the stuff over here, but it seems kind of off. Can we talk about that? And maybe you have a different posture, maybe a little less certainty, right? Um, and that can help you think through when there's people that are teaching things and naming the name of Jesus that don't seem biblical, Okay. Big question, lot to unpack there, but we'll leave it at that. Um, thank you guys so much for the questions. I hope it's helpful, and James is going to come now.